The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. For more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith, Certified Financial Planner and CEO of Seattle-based wealth management company, Empirical Wealth Management. My business partner and co-host, Ethan Broga, is also here today. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey, Ken. How's it going? Good. Ethan is a Certified Financial Planner with a Master's Degree in Financial Planning and heads are in our financial planning committee here at the firm. That's right. Well, it's been an interesting week, Ethan. Um, Definitely. The news, uh, which is a little out of our realm. We're not political commentators, but I think it would be pretty hard to ignore the uh, the killing of Osama bin Laden. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, today the emerging markets are down, and I haven't had a chance to really find out what's going on. But certainly there was an element uh, of risk priced into the markets during the September 11th crisis. We saw how fast the markets went down. No doubt. Um, We had commodities in our portfolio as a a little bit of a hedge or an an insurance policy against shocks to the system like that. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I'm listening to the news. I'm kind of very hungry to here and stay on top of these types of events and they're talking about the other threats they said this isn't really an elimination of the the issues or the terrorist threats or these organizations out there it's it, more than anything a great piece of symbolism that we've got osama mm-hmm. um so i guess my word of caution would be that you know there may be other things coming up that we don't know about just like we didn't know they were going to catch him these were unpredictable events yeah i would say too that the clearly the market um you know, is almost not an event in terms of stocks you know there was no no uh, bump in prices just because uh, uh oh some osama has been, been caught so yeah and if there are other attacks or something as a retaliation of this i mean i would expect to see markets react accordingly um and I would just, you know, you never know. It's not something that you can, we would recommend making portfolio adjustments around. Right. Um, but it certainly would, as always, recommend that you review your situation. Well, Ethan, I thought today we could talk a little bit. Uh, I saw an article in the, uh, as I scanned through the personal finance section of the Wall Street Journal about home ownership. 
Mm-hmm. I thought we could talk about that uh, a little bit. Sure. And uh, the other concept of should I pay off my mortgage and how a person might think about that or think through those decisions. Um, before we do, though, it'd be great if you could uh, share a little bit about our offering here as Advisors Empirical. Sure. For the public and for professionals and to give out our contact information. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, you know, we, as usual, we'd love to hear from you, our listeners. So if you have a question or uh, something you'd like for us to discuss on the air or even not on the air, that's fine. Feel free to reach out and give us a call or, or an email. We can be reached at contact at empiradio.com or 800-923-4307. That's our direct line here to the office. Uh, feel free to ask for myself or Ken and just mention that you heard us on the radio and we'd be glad to talk with you. Um, and as usual, too, if you uh, happen to give us a call or an email, we'd happily share with you one of our favorite books. It's uh, kind of a standing offer, so we'd be happy to do that. And separately, if you're interested in, in some, some help with your finances, maybe you're looking for a, a second opinion on your portfolio, uh, perhaps you're looking how, uh, how best to structure your retirement plan, um, perhaps you have some tax questions, or, or maybe all of the above, uh, we'd love to help you with those issues, and so feel free to give us a call. And then separately, if you're a professional advisor and you're looking to perhaps partner up with a, um, a pretty well-established firm like ourselves, like ours, I should say. Um, a finely oiled <laughs> machine, as it <laughs> That's were. right. That's right. You know, there's a lot of things that go into operating your own business, and if you've been doing it for a little while, you, you probably have realized that, and maybe it's, you end up spending a lot of time, aside from uh, doing, uh, working with, directly with clients, you're working on a lot of other things behind the scenes that make the, uh, make your, your company go. So if you'd like to partner up with somebody else who has a pretty well-developed infrastructure, um, has a very very high-qualified uh, investment team helping guide the investment decisions for you and your clients. Um, feel free to give us a call. We'd love to talk with you as well. That'd be great. And, Ethan, I wanted to mention uh, one of our uh, advisors, uh, Serena Lee. She has a, a passion for uh, Facebook and the <laughs> <laughs> social media. And uh, she set up a Facebook site for, for Empirical. That's right. Um, and a uh, Twitter that uh, page, and and also I'm going to begin writing a regular blog. That's a good idea. So we'll give you more details on that, but you'll be able to check us out there in those mediums as well. We're entering the 21st century, it looks like. Yeah, yeah, we've been a little slow, but uh, we'll probably go ahead and dominate it now. That's probably true. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But um, Simon, do we have anything for the rich? We have a separate one for the radio. We just have a separate radio web page, I think, empiradio.com. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we could link that all together. So, okay. Well, just want to make make you aware of that. We've got a lot of uh, clamoring fans out there that want to get updates uh, <laughs> on where Ethan is and what he's up to. That's right. He's a mover and a shaker here That's in the right. Seattle area. Um, well, today, Ethan, and before we talk about this, though, uh, we were gonna, I want to talk about this home ownership article, but uh, can we do maybe a little quick review? I'm on the uh, page here with some of the returns year to date because uh, from our last show, seems the market has continued to do catapult to new highs. Yeah. Um, and so I thought maybe our listeners just a brief kind of overview of the year to date top performing asset classes. Sounds good. And uh, we tend to kind of talk in terms of broad investment asset classes that we think are, are good building blocks for a well-diversified portfolio. 
and diversification being a very key component of any successful investing strategy in our view. And we just wrote a little letter uh, called, Is Modern Portfolio Theory Relevant? Uh, and that should be posted up to, to our website, empiricalfs.com. And um, if it's not, it will be shortly, our crack. Simon says that it is right now. Oh, okay. He's always He's one already step on top ahead. Of it. I can't believe um, it. Well, that's great. That's fantastic. <clears throat> uh, so that's worth checking out because we, we had an opportunity to interview on a previous radio show, Harry Markowitz, who was kind of known as the founder of Modern Portfolio Theory, won a Nobel Prize. And we talk a little bit about the concept of diversification. And through the crisis, a lot of uh, pundits called into question the merits of modern portfolio theory. And they were really focusing on, in the short term during the crisis, the fact that all major equity asset classes declined significantly simultaneously. Right. And so we've talked a little bit about that. Um, and our view is, well, that doesn't negate you don't throw the baby out of the with the bathwater, and it's not exactly what, you know. Harry was even saying that the value of his research and the research that was built upon his initial paper um, back in the 50s mm-hmm. was how that really would it negate how that research could help an investor make better investment decisions surrounding risk and return, and. And, and no, I watched a, a recent interview of, of Harry, and he, he was saying, well, no, it never really was intended um, to eliminate what he calls systematic risk or the risk of being in markets during a global crisis. That's right. Um, it'd be a little unrealistic to expect that to be the case. The best way to do that, we've talked about in the letter here, is adjusting your exposures to the different types of market risks being I can own some treasuries. I can own equities. Yeah, even some cash. And how it did work very well through the crisis, and we talked, I think, a little bit about this on a previous show, but, uh, geez, if I owned Washington Mutual, I, w- I wouldn't be so happy right now. Uh, if I owned the empirical, globally diversified, all equity, even the most aggressive, I'm not doing too bad, even through the downturn. Mm-hmm. So let's just go through a couple of these real quick, Ethan, then we'll Kay. jump on this house story. But... What do we got year to date? You have the digits up there. Yeah, I just so, pulled them up. Um, okay. I have some ma- all the major asset classes here. Uh, here's one that's a bit of a, surpri- a surprise, uh, and probably would be a surprise mm. to I most like surprises. people. Uh, among the major asset groups, Ken, if I was just to ask you, hey, what's the top performer year to date? What would you guess it would be? Just, well, just geez, if I had to guess, maybe U.S. stocks. I don't, I don't know. They've been bumping and yeah. pumping, and in, indeed, they've done pretty well. Uh-huh. Um, I'm going to give you the top two. Would it- <laughs> <laughs> and okay. It, it, I'm, I'm laughing because it blows me away, actually. It's <laughs> counterintuitive. Blowing my mind. Guess what the top one is? Uh, it's U.S. real estate. Oh, no REITs. Way. And then global REITs. Uh, global uh, real estate in the U.S. is up. Uh, this is a, a DFA fund. Uh, symbol is D-F-R-E-X. Um, up 12.8% year to date. No way. Like, unbelievable, right? That is unbelievable. And then global REITs, 11.99% year to date returns. Uh, so I, I just... Uh, it's a little bit surprising, I mean, given the, all the grief that's gone on in that part of the market <laughs> recently. That's a bit surprising. Uh, large cap value comes in, in next, 11.8% return. Oh, wow. Uh, year to date. Those are pretty good numbers, man. That's a little, those are annual return numbers, uh, you know, years worth return in about five months. Oh. That's pretty good. That's juicy. No doubt about it. And then looking down at some other ones, international values up about 10.2% looks like. 
and then U.S. small cap about 10 percent, um, international small cap value 9.9. Wow, these are amazing year-to-date returns. I'm really, uh, it's obviously good news for investors. Yeah, that's awesome. And going on down the line here, let's look at the some of the worst performing to date, and we'll we'll skip the fixed income because clearly those have different risk characteristics in the equity portfolios. All right, um, but the worst one that I can find here looks like emerging market small cap is only up three point two percent. That was interesting. Let's pause momentarily sure. for station identification here. Uh, emerging markets um, small cap, you said? Yeah, that's what I said. And <laughs> that's exactly what I said. Um, okay, because money I know is flooding. How, how are the emerging markets in general doing? Let's oh, look here. Emerging yeah, markets core portfolio is um, only up 4.4%. Okay, so coming around the bend here at the beginning of the year, money was flooding into uh, emerging markets like crazy. Yeah. Um, now, we own emerging markets, so we're not saying we're got out of them or anything like that. No, no. uh, We didn't make any major adjustments. It's what we've been doing for quite some time, which is really based around looking at where they, how the world is is divided up between emerging and developed and U.S. markets. Right. Um, And then being pretty consistent about your rebalancing structure. Yeah. And then maybe making some overweights to emerging markets if you believe over the long term there are are, uh, return opportunities. But those return opportunities should be based upon the risk of investing in those markets, and we wrote a little paper about that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, not over short-term, uh, you know, short-term speculation. Oh, we got to take a quick break. We'll jump back in on this when we get back. We'll be right, right back. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. The incidence of autism has increased at an alarming rate. Approximately 1 in 150 children are affected by autism, giving autism the undesired ranking as the most prevalent childhood developmental disorder in the U.S. 67 children will be diagnosed today. That is nearly one child every 20 minutes. Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica, hosted by Terry Aranga, illuminates how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. 
autism is treatable and given appropriate therapies, children are recovering. With well-known researchers and doctors, members of Congress, and expert service providers from a wide range of disciplines, Terry offers interviews and insights highlighting the progress in areas related to autism spectrum disorders such as biomedical research and treatment, communication, education, and behavioral modalities, sociological and philosophical issues, and legislative advocacy and insurance concerns. Autism One, a conversation of hope, broadcasts each Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Autism One, a conversation of hope. Through education and conversation, there is hope. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. Ken and Ethan, you know, TCB in it here at the home office. TCB in it, huh? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anywho, Ethan, you were going over some of the returns, just kind of a little update here. We like to keep you posted on what we believe are the more relevant uh, classes of investing, the building blocks, as it were. Yeah, that's right. And we were just talking about how the... uh, Kind of surprisingly, real estate's continued to be in the top year to date, right? Yes. You, you mentioned, and uh, yet emerging markets, which was really hot last year. Um, yeah, very hot. Hansel, so hot right now, Hansel. Mm-hmm. Um, money was flooding in. I mean, I, I kept hearing report after report of, geez, emerging markets, mutual funds or cash flows are, are flooding into that area. Yeah. It's interesting to see year to date. It's, it's one of the lower-performing asset classes. Yeah, definitely in the bottom tier. Um, Looking at a, a large-cap large, uh, large cap emerging markets, uh, just to clarify, which is probably more common for most investors, if they held emerging markets, it's usually large-cap. That's up 5.4% for oh, okay. the year. So it's kind of mid-range between, the, I'd say, the U.S. domestic returns and the, the, the bottom of the, the equity returns for other asset classes. Pretty interesting, though. Yeah, and so all we're saying is if you were one of those people who kind of chased those returns... Someone out there is doing it. Maybe it's the active mutual fund guys. I don't. I don't know the active managers or. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say. Uh, I mean, yeah. clearly, you're, you're. One reason why we have a, a pretty. Uh, I don't know. If stagnant's the right word, but a, a consistent um, a, exposure to these areas, depending on the model that we're in, 
is because we, we know we know that we don't know precisely when which asset class will perform the best. Yeah. So people who are, who are flooding into emerging markets at the sacrifice of, say, the U.S. market, just because it appears, boy, uh, by all appearances, the U.S. is headed for some trouble, perhaps, and I've heard that as a recurring thing uh, recently. Well, just looking at the last five months of returns, the exact opposite has happened with with the returns of these various asset classes. So you're, you, if you're investing in emerging markets, typically at the, at the sacrifice of something else, right? Right. I would presume it's probably the U.S., small cap perhaps, or even international, rolling into emerging markets, meaning that you're getting, getting a double whammy there. You're not getting the good returns offered in, emerging, uh, in U.S. markets currently, yeah, and you're getting the low returns offered in just in the last few months anyway of emerging markets. You know, that's why we don't play the, the game of chasing what's hot, because that's how, that's how it usually works, you know? Yeah, yeah, you don't, you know. It's better to be disciplined, yeah. is my point. Have yeah. an allocation that's based on some fundamental principles and stick with it. That's what I'm getting at, I guess. Yeah, what did Gordon Gecko? He said most in Wall Street, most of the uh, managers can't beat the S&P 500. You know, the only way he could get the returns is he had to have get insider knowledge. Right. And he was saying, hey, the sheep get slaughtered. And um, you don't want to be one of those sheep. You know, at the first part of that uh, comment there, you kind of sounded like Gordon Gecko a little bit. It was kind of oh, really? kind of weird. <laughs> was, was that on purpose? You, you you donned that persona all of a sudden? Yeah. That's funny, man. So that's what you don't want to do. And um, yet, yet we know that the industry here at large makes an enormous amount of money giving pretty bunk advice to people um, and, you know, basically throwing gasoline on the, the fire. Right. Um, <clears throat> by by presenting themselves as if they know how to do it, you know, and I, I see these trading uh, deals too that really kind of oh, it's all. I mean, the time. I know they're paid paid advertisements, but and, and I don't know that. Hopefully, nobody really listens, and but I got to believe they wouldn't be running these advertisements if somebody wasn't buying the trading systems. Yeah, whether it's the option trading or the market signal stuff, the active trader stuff that the brokerage companies put out. Mm-hmm. Um, man, it's just kind of crazy when you think about it. Right. But anywho, it's, what else do you got on the... Uh, well, I had one thing. Uh, I, just on this topic, you know, we're talking about the different asset class returns, and we're kind of going through and highlighting some of the, the top performers year-to-date and the, the worst performers year-to-date among the equity asset classes. Conveniently, they're all positive, which is nice. We're, having, we're experiencing positive equity returns, at least year-to-date, which is nice. Right. Um, but looking at our portfolios, just looking at the, the equities as a group, in our among all of our client portfolios in aggregate, year to date returns I'm looking at it here are nine point one percent. Not too shabby. So it's in between, as you would expect. In fact, if you uh, have a diversified portfolio that includes all these various asset classes to some degree or another, you'd expect expect it to be somewhere between the sort of the, the, the bottom and the top, right? But in this case, it's it's more tilted, what, more weighted toward the top. What uh, what was the general U.S. stock market? Uh, looking at the U.S. large. Hang on a second. Let me get it all here. Right. Uh, U.S. large value, anyway, was 11.8%. Okay. And then uh, looking at U.S. core equity. Oh, here it is, U.S. large company. Um, that looks like it's up about 8.92. Yeah. Okay. So we've got a pretty good chunk emerging markets, and we're still doing about as well as, as one of the, the higher returning classes. Right. I mean, so, we have emerging markets, obviously, uh, but we, we're weighted toward other things as well, yeah. as value and, and so forth that could, could is obviously having some impact. Well, that's pretty good. Yes. Wow, is that is that as loud on the air as it is in my ears right now well, when that happens? I, I don't really who's, control that. Who's in charge um, of these things? Well, let's move along to our 
I think it's Simone. Let's move along to our uh, our next phase here. All right, let's do it. Um, you giving us an, a market update? Well, you know, uh, what about the bonds, though? I'm sorry. Before we move on, did you mention anything about what, what's kind of the bond funds listed here? Like I certainly it? could. I have it here. Okay. So a guy maybe in the one year, I know DFA has like a one year, just a short-term bond strategy. Mm -hmm. And I mention that even because a lot of people have continued to be uh, in cash or very short-term instruments. Mm -hmm. And I'm just trying to figure out what they've been missing out on. Yeah, so I mean, looking at You're saying uh, our global, just a general global equity was around nine. I know we've got a variety of equity models that we run. Mm -hmm. um, I can tell you, in aggregate, our clients' accounts uh, on the total, like every account that has bonds, uh -huh. the fixed income portion of those accounts, they're up 2.04% for the year. Year to date. Year to date. Okay. Well, I'm looking at their DFA <coughs> one year fixed income, and it's 0.42%. Uh, mm -hmm. So for the year to date, uh, less than half a percent. Right. Not a million dollars. That's uh, you know, for a guy like yourself, that's a uh, a pretty big difference. Large difference. Some combination. I mean, the difference between a, a portfolio that has equities in it <clears throat> and just being in cash or money market, right? I mean, nine percent on a million bucks. That's not, what ninety thousand dollars, right? Um, versus a half a percent. So, I don't know. That's five grand. Yeah, in a very short period of time. Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. Maybe you should just simmer on that for a minute. And, um, <laughs> All right. <laughs> the point being is, you know, you never know. Nobody really knew how fast and uh, the market was going to go up. And we don't know exactly if we're done yet. Um, and looking across all the asset classes, we're about moderately valued here. We're not dirt cheap like we were at the bottom. Right. Oddly, though, money wasn't flooding into emerging markets at the bottom when they were trading it single digit uh, yes. six and seven times P ratio. Exactly. Yeah, we, we were rebalancing that. our clients back up their emerging markets. Yeah. Doing the right thing and it paid off probably pretty pretty big in that respect. Um, and not only that, but we were thrown in a side order of tax loss harvesting. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> to That's make right. the meal complete. Um, but yeah, so just throwing that out. So the next thing here, Ethan, I was just you know going through the um, the uh, news art articles here on uh, Wall Street. I like to check the little personal finance stuff, and um, I don't know if we want to call it mail or, you know, is we get a lot of questions. Um, you 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 uh, you, you, you got mail. Grab mail. that out of the mail yeah, back there, Ethan. Mail call. Gather around, everyone. Ooh. I need an envelope. Well, let's see what's in the mail. This is an excellent clip. I don't know who did this. Well, it's Simon. Uh, wow, but really? It, I think he's resting on his laurels, though. We need to get some fresh material. Well, I don't know. It's pretty good. Okay. All That's right. a nice mon letter montage. A montage. So, yes, the, the article said, is home ownership overrated? And it kind of caught my eye. Uh, this is in the May 3rd, published date, May 3rd uh, here, 2011. Um, Taught off the presses. Smart money, I guess. But it, I got the article off the... When I log in on the Wall Street Journal, I think Smart Money is owned by Wall Street Journal. Hmm, okay. Um, <clears throat> and it talked about, uh, this article talks about, uh, in the wake of a real estate bubble and collapse, I'm kind of skipping here, some of the fluff at the beginning. Um, the idea of home ownership being a great thing um, 
and these assumptions, uh, you know, throwing your money away on rent and things like that, um, are being called into question and in some cases are under attack. Decades of policies designed to foster home ownership are being re-examined from a taxpayer support uh, from taxpayer support for the giant mortgage agencies to the tax deduction for mortgage interest. In light of this sea change, uh, the article here is, uh, I decided to re reapproach the sacred cow of homeownership with an open mind. Does it make sense financially? And does it promote social benefits? So, you know, they go on to talk about how the last 11 years, it's been uh, pretty brutal in certain areas, mm -hmm. depending on when you bought over the past decade plus. Um, the home prices in Atlanta are about the same as they were in the year 2000. Mm -hmm. So virtually no no increase. And nationally, uh, we had, there's this Case-Shiller Home Price Index, and we had, had a chance to talk to Shiller actually on our program. But nationally, the rate of appreciation in housing um, has been slightly above inflation over the long, longer-term period. Um, and depending on what data you use, pretty close to inflation. In some right. Um, so purely as an investment, residential real estate is never going to outperform stock market or many other asset classes. Uh, nonetheless, homeownership has historically yielded other financial benefits. Oh, you know what? we got to take a quick break, Ethan. We'll jump right back into this article about is home ownership overrated, and we'll talk about whether or not you should pay off your mortgage and how you should put that decision together. We'll be right back. markets up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Listen up. Conceive Magazine is now on the air, live and on demand on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. Hosted by Kim Han, founder of Conceive Magazine. Conceive On Air offers comfort and emotional support to women contemplating starting or expanding their family by consulting noted professional experts and by sharing the insights and experiences of others. 
There's a course offered on 7th Wave Network that you never saw offered in college. One that provides information on how to transform ancient wisdom teachings into everyday life. You'll learn how to create from your spirit and explore the world with all of your senses. Participation is encouraged. Enroll in Spirituality 101, the course you can't afford to miss with your host, Reverend Norma. Class is in session every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, in your favorite classroom, 7th Wave Network. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right. Welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. This is Ken. Ethan, you there? You still awake? I'm still awake. All right. Pull yourself together. We've got a couple more segments here. Let's do it. We're talking about this article, um, Smart Money Magazine by James Stewart. Is home ownership overrated? And we want to talk a little bit about that and then the idea of whether or not a person should uh, pay off their mortgage. What's going on, Ethan? It's making me laugh a little bit because... uh, (laughs) I mean, hold it together. Why didn't this article come out of cup like five years ago? Well, these articles always seem to follow. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, you know, we should have known that the housing market's going to go down. I mean, yeah. it isn't an always an uptrend. That just seems kind of funny. I'm sorry. There's been a variety of. Well, I think Mike, one of our one of our principals and advisors, Mike Van Sant here, he was laughing. Um, I don't know if he's laughing. It seemed like he was angry because he just bought a new house in the um, Snoqualmie Ridge area. Uh, if you happen to be passing through, give him a buzz. He loves visitors. And um, I don't think that he was angry about buying a house there. I think that's what he wanted to do. No, was, uh, I think he's saying, I mean, prices were down like from forty, <laughs> down like 40% from the peak. It's, if you're going to move there, it's a pretty good buying opportunity. Yeah. Uh, I guess. He was a little, little steamed, though, that Susie Orman is out there. Susie Orman. Susie Orman. Um, <laughs> Wait, she lives in the Stokholmier in, in that area? No, no, I'm sorry. She's been out doing her little seminars or whatever it is. Oh, that, yeah. I'm, not, I'm still not exactly sure what it, what it is she does as it relates to financial stuff. But um, but she was talking and saying how the American dream is dead and, and that uh, people should not be buying houses. And I'm not giving away my position on it yet. Um, I think what Mike was frustrated about was that probably was not her advice – seven or eight years ago or during the the first turn of the market and in, in the uh in the tech bubble occurred was she was she on tv uh screaming that the american dream is dead um at that point in time i'd love to have the the you know the, the playback on playback on that yeah i i w- well you know i maybe we can get in a research person to look into that Thank i don't know what good it would do i i, I have a pretty strong feeling that she wasn't Jumping around, doing her little show, and screaming people. Well, she doesn't do that, but um, that the that the American dream is dead, and don't buy a home, and all that kind of jazz. And and that's all. You know, a lot of these these um, the answers to these questions are very personal, right? I think are. and situational. So, 
some advice that we give, like diversification is a positive thing when it comes to designing a stock portfolio. That's more universal, right? Other pieces of advice really require the individual to be involved in the decision and for us to have a better understanding of their particular circumstances. Right. So would homeownership be a, a great idea um, for someone who doesn't know that they're going to be in the city that they're in for more than a year and the house is, is you know, a huge percentage of their income? Well, no. In that particular case, we would, might say, that's not a great idea. First, the house is too expensive that you're trying to buy. And secondly, if you're not going to be there for very long, that that's not a great investment. Um, yeah, know, getting in and out of one is not easy. Right. Uh, and so the, the article kind of goes on to say, well, maybe it's not as good. Uh, according to um, Stuart Gabriel, director of Zeman Center for Real Estate at UCLA, uh, the it's the answer to the question is home good investment maybe not always um, policies that increased homeownership created what Gabriel calls transitory owners who ended up suffering defaults evictions foreclosures and other financial disruptions policy that creates only temporary home ownership is a bad policy well I'm, I think that would always have been our advice that it's not something you would do for a short term although I know personally even when I got out of college and um Several years, actually, after that, I checked back in with some of the guys, and I found out that they were, I'm from Phoenix, and they were flipping houses like they were tra day trading stocks, mm -hmm. basically. Um, I knew at that point, this is not good. Um, something's fishy. Something's fishy here. Uh, and I, so when the house became a, a tradable item <laughs> that was being looked at as, hey, I'll buy this and flip it very quickly... Um, I don't know. To me, there's there's something wrong with that picture when that's going on. But uh, as it comes to the individual buying one and living in it kind of a situation, I think that's a little bit of a different view, mm -hmm. which is a personal decision. And I thought it was interesting because they talk about France having a 57% home ownership rate, Germany 46 Switzerland 37%, and in the U.S. it's been 67 um, definitely, I think we've been influenced as Americans by the government policy and the tax preferential treatment. And I was asking you, would you continue to look at your home the same way if you weren't getting that juicy tax deduction on that interest that uh, you're paying? And you said, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's among the, I mean, looking at things that are deductible items, that, certainly that's a, a big one for most folks. You like it? Yeah, sure. You I mean, like it. I personally benefit from that. That's the way. That's true. Okay. Um, not to say that it over time shouldn't be dealt with differently, but as it currently is, it is beneficial to most folks who who have it. So they're talking about um, that the structure of it is that it benefits the affluent because of their large home interest deductions, while the uh, lower-income individuals don't get that deduction, although they do get a standard deduction, which relative to their income is probably pretty big. That's true. Um, and Warren Buffett, um, going on to say he's, you know, the, Warren Buffett's lived in his house for 50 years that he bought at $31,000. He made a comment in his letter uh, for Berkshire Hathaway, Hathaway um, our country's social goal should not be to put families into the house of their dreams, but rather to put them in a house they can afford. And um, they so there's discussion about phasing out 
you know, and here it's the most agreed that the tax deduction or the mortgage deduction should be phased out over 15 to 20 years to minimize the effect on housing prices. I don't know how you feel about all that. Yeah, I think that if they do it, um, which they pro- I think they probably will, Okay, uh, in my view. Um, yeah, it should be phased out over time. It shouldn't be something that did, they turn a switch and all of a sudden it's gone. I think it, it certainly is an, an idea where people would look at it and say, hey, if I can deduct a larger amount, um, I'll, I'll maximize that opportunity. And, and maybe they were buying houses that were a little larger than sure. they should. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure that the government should be really stimulate the whole idea of the, the, you know, that everyone needs to own a home. I'm not really sure that I agree with that myself. Yeah. Um, Blanket statements like that, I I tend not to agree with. I think more of if there was a government involvement or or encouragement should be affordable housing, a place for people to live that, you know, is not just for people with high income. That I can get in support of, but I'm not really clear on what, what the benefit was of everyone owning a home. Um, other than the discussion about it being a forced savings program. Right. Because I do agree that a lot of people, including, you know, people of my parents' generation and, and them themselves, that was their primary forced savings bucket. Right. Although a portion of that was going into pay interest. Um, but otherwise, I, I think for a lot of people, they wouldn't budget that. So um, as it relates, I guess, my, do you have any views about home ownership, Ethan? You said you were considering renting at one time. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, to me, uh, I like the idea. The principle of owning a place is nice. I mean, you, you can do whatever you want to do with the place. Uh, any improvements you make um, potentially could increase value and or you, you also receive the the side benefit of, an, of higher heightened enjoyment potentially. Yeah. So I like all those things. Heightened enjoyment? Yeah, I mean, if you do a kitchen remodel, you know, well, that probably helps the, the value of the house over time anyway relative to not doing it. I'm not sure that it's a break-even or, or, or anything like of that nature, but certainly you also derive enjoyment from, from living where you live. At least you can. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I live uh, in the in Seattle area, the uh, Seward Park area, and it's a pretty nice little neighborhood. I mean, um, I'm, I'm way up from the lake, but I like having access to walkability to the lake. You know, proximity right. to uh, family activities like that are real nice for me. So that's a perk, you know. Yeah, well, you could rent and still have that perk. Yeah, you could. You uh, could. If you wanted to. <clears throat> no doubt about it. Now, from a timing perspective, it's interesting because housing prices are reasonable relative to some of the peak. Yeah. If we're anchoring onto the peak pricing in most areas, um, they're pretty reasonable. <laughs> I, I, I agree with you. And it's funny. Normally, you know, the idea would be if you're yeah. going to be making investments, you'd want to buy things when they're lower. Well, in the rental, I was just reading here in Seattle that um, the vacancy rate on rentals in the city area, I think what they were saying, it's like it's going to be 4% hmm. next year. And there's only a couple buildings planned, um, which means that there's, they were, the premise of the, of the article was that they're going to, there's going to be a pretty big demand for renting when, because of the qualifications to buy a home have, have gotten harder. Yeah, much more stringent. Much more stringent, right? I mean, you had people buying houses with virtually no money down and very, you know, not great credit and not great income right. ratios. Um, I'll be kind of angry if that if that happens very quickly again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. Because um, it really should have never happened in the first place. Yeah. And so I don't, you know, well, let's not get off on a tangent here. But the, the idea being that if I was a timing kind of a guy, which we're generally not in our approach, um, it seems like acquiring properties to rent would be 
a feasible, if we were timing things, um, where it's kind of funny because I think a lot of people bought properties to rent around the peak right. <laughs> and now are, are selling them right. uh, or have been you know, trying to get rid of them if you can sell them. Um, and so I, I, I think if you were thinking from that perspective and you were dead set that you're going to own a home, it's probably not the worst period of time when prices are down and interest rates are extremely low. Right. Um, but does that make it a good strategy if it, if it really wasn't, if owning a home isn't the greatest idea to you, you know? Oh, we got, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about this and the mortgage stuff in a minute. Be right back. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor, or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. You may also send an email to contact at EMPIRadio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. 
Okay, welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. We're talking about we're talking about buying houses and whether or not the decision surrounding that has changed, um, or if you know this article and smart money here that uh, is is home ownership overrated. And I guess if you bought a house, Ethan, and uh, two thousand five, six, or seven around that time period, and you thought you were buying the largest house she could afford with the notion that housing prices are going through the roof um, and you're going to make a bundle of cash. Um, I guess if you were looking at it from that perspective, now you would be looking at this and saying, yeah, it was overrated. <laughs> <laughs> no question about it. With it, looking in the rearview mirror, I think most folks would say if they're engaged in that, uh, boy, it's unfortunate. But um, if you were looking at it from the perspective of where we are today, um, with the pricing coming back into alignment with longer-term averages, I think. Uh, you know, you, we were saying here in the article, talked about Atlanta being uh, the price about where they were in the year 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things do have a tendency, whether it's stocks, bonds, gold, whatever, to revert back towards some longer-term average. So when they get excessively priced, yeah, uh, rapid appreciation, rapid depreciation, they tend to have a, a, a kind of almost a Newton-like gravitational pull. Back it is like to, that. It is like that. I've described it like that before. To uh, to their their longer-term average, and you know, if you just kind of kept that little nugget of information in check as you were going through these different time periods, whether it was buying technology stocks or you, know, you say, "Geez, can this go on?" We've you know we've experienced a, a short burst here of where historically I've gotten ten years or. 15 years worth of return in a, in a two or three year period, can that sustain itself? Or should I expect some pullback at some point? You gotta check yourself before you wreck yourself, Ethan. <laughs> That's good advice. But, um, and it's hard to, I mean, it's hard, it is difficult to do that because what happens in these sort of bubbles or manias, you, you get so caught up in, 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 in what's going on. You dis- right. disregard previous experience, not just your personal experience, but pre- previous experience of those who've been around for a longer time, written books, that sort of thing, market history, as it were. Yeah. And you tend to, you know what, it's different this time. And so you end up making choices that otherwise, you know, if you're brought back down to earth and checked yourself a bit and, and looked at the history of things, uh, bubbles in general, you probably make a different decision, right? And I think if you were, if you're looking at this, this is an overrated, um, again, I, I guess it all depends on how you define um, what you, what were you really expecting to get out of it? So if if I had bought a house ten years ago, but my goal was, as as Mike said to me, the advisor we were just talking mm-hmm. about, he said, I hope I never have to move again. This is the house that I want to finish raising my kids in, and hopefully we'll never have to move again. Well, with that kind of a mindset, I don't know how he could really go too wrong. Right. Get the house paid off. He got a reasonable price. He's got great interest rate on it. Yeah, um, exactly. Inflation adjusted. Now there's going to be the expenses and repairs and all those things, but the psychological payoffs of you know, hey, because you know, one of the downsides of renting is whoever's renting me the property, if it's a house, may choose not to rent it to me at some point, and then I've got to move. Um, and there's that psychological issue of, geez, I don't like it when the rent gets raised on me. Mm-hmm. You know, even if it's just a general inflationary, I think most people just, there's something about that that eats at them. Yeah. They like the certainty of, 
either my house is paid off or I know what my mortgage payment is. Right. Even in reality, if economically, you could take that equity and reallocate it into another account in which you make some stock market assumption of return that in most cases is going to be higher than the current rate of mortgage interest rates. Um, and maybe you would be better off if that was our ultimate goal. But for many of us, that's not the only goal. Right? Right. So I know you're doing a lot of repair work over at your property. Constantly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Projects here and there, sure. On the other side of that coin, if I was in a situation where you know, I'm not looking to live in that property for the rest of my life. That starts to change it. If I wasn't looking to live in it for more than a couple of years, that would certainly change my decision about this. Um, and if maximizing my economic utility was of my primary and utmost important goal, then I would I would really want to have a more realistic view of what my house is. It's not a money-making machine. Um, and if I'm not deriving many of those emotional and psychological benefits that basic homeowners do, then I might change my view on that. Yeah. Or if I was just going out buying houses for the sake of buying, I mean, that was the part that kind of, I think, you know, I saw a lot of people do that I would caution them against, uh, was just buying houses for the sake of buying houses because they didn't want to be in stocks because they were playing that timing game. Right. And they were pulling out at a time where they should have been rebalancing to stocks to buy real estate after 2002, you know. Mm -hmm. Part of the rub with with that uh, is that it's a real... The salmon rub? Obviously. <laughs> no, the, the, the getting in and out of, of, of uh, real estate is that it's a very active thing. I mean, it's it's not easy. You, you can go to your computer and sell your stock or your mutual fund, but you got it's a huge process <laughs> undertaking to buy or sell real estate. Uh, a lot of tr a lot of friction on the transactions. Oh, they kill you! I hate and those uh, mortgage statements. Oh, it's they're all terrible. Or the uh, cl closing, closing the amount documents. of stuff, the costs that they they roll in. Right. It's it's a punch. And it only made it. I mean, it, you'd be willing to endure that if you're going to you know quickly turn the house over and get some type of profit. Particularly yeah. if you're leveraging the pro leveraging the house to begin with. You know, you maybe you're putting down five percent or ten percent to purchase. The rest of it's finance. So you're, yeah. the return in the past, anyway, you what you'd be getting on the on the sale if things had been going up forever. Um, is pretty darn good. Yeah. And that, that's where the incentive was coming in, right? Or or no money down. You know, calculate that return. Yeah. If I can get a house, rent it out, no money down, sell it in a year, that's a pretty good deal. Yeah, you were talking about the leverage yeah. of the situation. The leverage I mean, Real estate of it. has this unique, um, it's, I guess, a double-edged sword at times, but yeah. it does, relative to other assets, have the unique ability to leverage it. Even even with the current restrictions, I mean, if where can you leverage something to 80%? And that's the, that's the, that's the, that's the norm. Yeah. Most people have a mortgage yeah. of some kind. Right. Like you, you go to buy a stock. Well, you don't buy a stock and say, "Well, I'll, I'll put a hundred bucks in that stock, but I'll borrow fifty bucks to do that." Right. But it's the same type of thing, in essence. Yeah. Particularly if you're viewing it as an investment. Right. It's kind of weird. Well, it has presented unique opportunities in the area of real estate for yeah. people to own homes, but for people to also make a lot of money in yeah, right. real estate over time, mm -hmm. but also lose a lot of money. Right. So. Well, this idea of mortgage, paying off your mortgage, Ethan, yeah. uh, I think that's a pretty complicated discussion. Yeah, definitely. We've only got about a minute left. Um, maybe we should defer some of this and start next week's show and talk a little bit about it. I think it is a very pertinent topic because as I see interest rates being very low, um, people are paying off mortgages. Um, and sometimes I'm confused by that decision relative to the timing of it. 
Right. Um, so if it was a good idea to pay mortgage off, you know, how should we frame that? And I get, I get a little tweaked, I guess, Ethan, when people make decisions based simply on current news or something recently that they experienced, um, rather than looking at the big picture. And if we went back in time and all other factors were the same, that they would have made a different decision. The only thing that changes something that's happened in the news or or yields on bonds are down i don't i don't know yeah um so let's pick that up next week i think it sounds good okay thank you guys and uh well we'll see you next week take care have a great week bye-bye We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.